Are you looking for a church home or simply a weekly message that will revive your spirit? Each week, Pastor John Butler delivers applicable messages that will refuel your spiritual man and bring a new desire to your heart. Here's Pastor John Butler with this week's encouraging message. Malachi chapter 2. Today is the third message of a four-part series from Malachi called Getting Your House in Order. Getting your house in order. If we're going to build a house that God can bless, and that's certainly my goal as a pastor of this church, to build a church, to create a church, to establish a church that God can bless. And it's also my goal as a father and as a husband to have a home that God can bless. Then then from Malachi, we understand that the way to do that is to establish a home that's built on a foundation of love. Establish a church that's built on a foundation of love. If we're going to build a house and get our house in order, then it has to be built on a foundation of love. And last week we discovered that the walls have to be built of honor. The walls are built of honor, and there are four ways that we have to honor God. And the first one we talked about last week was with our worship. We honor God with our worship. Today we're going to find out from the text three other walls of our house to, to build a house that God can bless. Malachi chapter 2, thank you for standing in honor of the Word of God. I'm reading from the NIV this morning, the first nine verses. And now you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, then I will send a curse on you. Listen to this, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I'll rebuke your descendants and I'll smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices and you'll be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this morning so that this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace. And I gave them to him. This called for reverence and he revered me. And stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was on his lips. He walked with me in uprightness and peace, and turned many from sin. For the the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he's the messenger of the Lord God Almighty. And people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi." says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people because you've not followed my ways but have shown partiality in matters of the law. Before you're seated, why don't you bow your heads with me. Father, once, once again we come to you now and we ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word, that you would help us to receive your word this morning uh, as if from the very throne of God. And I pray that you help me to deliver your word as such. Lord, may I be careful in what I say and in how I say it, so that I can communicate clearly what it is you're trying to say to your people, because these are not my people, God, they're yours. I pray that you help me to be a good steward of the message that you want me to deliver to them this morning. And may we all receive the truth of your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Well, there is an old hymn of the church that I'm sure... Uh, some of you have heard, and I'm sure many have recorded over the years, but I remember a Tennessee Ernie Ford record that we had. Anybody remember Tennessee Ernie Ford? Hey, the first service, it was like, oh, three. 
So Tennessee Ernie Ford was, a, I remember his old baritone, his great resonant baritone voice bursting through our house singing, Count Your Blessings. Anybody remember that song? Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings and see what God has done. We, we will hear that from time to time. We'll hear people say, count your blessings. Not everybody knows that it came from that song. Or maybe, it, maybe they came up with their own. They never heard that song and they just came up with that all by themselves. But for whatever reason, we talk about counting our blessings a lot. And we encourage people to do that. And, and have you ever stopped to do that? you ever stopped to count your blessings in a situation, for those of you who are going through something, as we just prayed for you, when you, are, when you are in need of encouragement, then it's a great thing to do to stop and count your blessings. Find out what God has already done for you, and it, and it encourages you. And if we had time to go around the room as we count our blessings, and we just named the things that God had done in our lives, then I'm sure that there would be some recurring themes. That you'd say, oh, God has blessed me with a great family I've just I've been blessed with a great job, or I just love my church family, or or I've been blessed with this inheritance, or with this donation, or or with this bonus, or with this thing that God's done in my life financially, and I just I appreciate that so much. God, and God's done so much for me, and all of these things are great blessings, and definitely something that should that we should be proud of and thankful for. But let me ask you this: in light of the, what the Word just said. And we'll read that again in just a minute. Have you ever known a, a son or a daughter that caused heartache in a family? Just blew the family up. Maybe, maybe some of you have been that son or daughter at some point in your life. You ever known of a family that's torn apart by divorce? You ever met a workaholic? Somebody that's so obsessed with their job that they say God gave them that they neglect everything else in their lives? You, you ever, uh, there, there's a, you ever been hurt in a church fight? Come to church because you think it's a great, it's going to be a great blessing in your life and then suddenly your life gets torn to shambles because of what happens in church? There's a TV show, I saw a preview for it, uh, that's coming on this fall. I don't remember the name of it, doesn't matter, I'm not going to watch it anyway, but it's a, it's, it's a story about this group of individuals who go together and buy a lottery ticket and they win the lottery. And the, the premise of the show is just to follow them through the ups and downs of winning the lottery. Because it seems that though you, people fantasize about winning the lottery, the reality of it is that it's not always the blessing people think it is. Sometimes what appears to be a great blessing turns out to be a curse instead. The very things in our lives that we would count as blessings sometimes gets turned around on us. And as a matter of fact, in, in verse 2, in the passage we just read, God said that sometimes He takes the things that we thought were going to be blessings in our lives and He makes them into a curse. Now why in the world would God do that? What would cause God to take what should bring us pleasure and bring us displeasure with it? Well, let's start in verse 4 and find out why in the world God would do that. Let's look back at verse 4 and remind ourselves of what he said. He said, And you will know that I have sent you this warning so that my covenant with Levi may continue. Why would God turn our, turn our blessings into curses? Why would a God who loves us do that in order to get our attention so that He can bring us back to the covenant that He made with Levi? So he can bring us back 
to the covenant. Do you, do you realize that God is a good father? And every good father wants to bless his children. But every good father also knows that if you take a bad child and give them good things, that they're going to make a mess out of it. And you're going to empower them and enable them to, to be worse than they already were. Many, many examples in the Bible of men who have blessed children who did, have not earned that right and who had demonstrated their inability to be able to handle it. God is a good father and he wants to bless his children and that's why he makes covenants. But we have to keep our end of the covenant. The covenant of, that he made with Levi is a covenant, according to verse 5, a covenant of life and peace. A covenant of life and peace. That sounds great, doesn't it? How many of you would like life and peace from God? That sounds great. But how in a world that only offers death and conflict, God stands before us with an offer of life and peace. So how do we get some of that? I want some of that. How do we get that? It tells us in the same verse. It requires that we honor Him, that we reverence God, that we give God the honor that He deserves. See, the covenants of God are conditional. The covenants of God are if-then statements. If you will fulfill the provisions, then God will give you the promise. And He has never failed to make good on His promises. If there is anybody not walking in covenant blessing, it's not God's fault. It's not that He failed to deliver His end. It, the, 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 the breakdown is always going to be on our end. It's the result of humans, just like you and me, that maybe decided they could get the promise without having to fulfill the vision. The provision, excuse me. There is no shortcut around the, the covenants of God. There, are no, there is no way to receive the blessings of God without doing what God says to do in order to get them. You can't do There's no shortcuts to the blessings of God. You, you might be able to get rich quick, but it doesn't mean that God has blessed you. You can numb the pain for a little while, but it doesn't mean that you have His peace. You can hide the symptoms for a little while, but it doesn't mean that God has blessed you. You can change your behavior in front of certain people for a little while, but it doesn't mean that God has delivered you and set you free. The blessings of God are conditional, but they are irreplaceable. You can't find them anywhere else or any other way. The only way to receive the blessings of God is to go through God to get them. So if you want the promises and the blessings of God, then you have to do it God's way. Now some of you say, well, this covenant was for Levi. That's Old Testament. That, that doesn't apply to us anymore. Good point. Let's check this out. Let's look in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. New Testament. 1 Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen people. A royal, what? Priesthood. You're a royal priesthood. New Testament. We're still a part of the priesthood that God established. New Testament. Let's look at John chapter 10. Also in the New Testament. John 10 and 10. This is Jesus speaking. The thief comes only to kill and to steal and to destroy. But I have come that they may have what? Life. I've come to give you life, Jesus said. Now look at John 14 and 27. See what else Jesus comes to bring us. If I can see the next scripture, please. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. What's God giving? What's Jesus giving to us? Peace and life. Jesus, who shed His blood for the new covenant, came to bring us life and peace. The covenant of life, the offer of life and peace, 
still stands for us today. But guess what? It's still conditional. We still have to meet the standard. Look at, uh, at John chapter 14 and verse 21. Let's find out what Jesus said. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and show myself. I'll reveal myself to him. To who? The one who has my commandments? No. The one who has them and does them. It's not enough for us to know them. We have to actually do them. There is a standard to receive the love. Uh, This is not the love like the Father just feels love for us because we all have that kind of love. That's endless. God loves everybody the same all the time. But when He says the Father is going to love you, then that's a verb. He's going to give His blessings to you. He's going to reveal Himself to you. There are covenant blessings that come only through receiving and obeying the commands of Jesus. If you truly want to honor God, it can't just be with your lips. Look at Matthew chapter 15. Verses 8 and 9. This is what Jesus said. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Look at verse 9. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. If you're going to honor God, you can't just do it with your lips only. Because that's too easy. You can say anything. Words are cheap. Talk is cheap. The real test of faith is not in your words, it's in your works. It's in the things that you do. James said he demonstrates his faith by his works. It's got to be reflected in your attitudes and in your actions. If you want the blessings of Jesus manifested in your life, if you want life and peace, then we've got to honor God by doing what He says. That's why He's giving us this warning this morning. In Malachi and in our day, He's giving this to us because He wants to see us walk in the covenant with Him so that He can bless us. He's a good Father. He wants to give His blessing, and this is the way we get it. So what are the ways that God expects to be honored? Well, we already talked about worship. The second way is found in the first half of verse 6. Let's look at verse 6 again together. He's talking about Levi now and how Levi received the covenant blessings. He says, True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was on his lips. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was on his lips. God expects us to honor Him with our words. With our words. Though we can't honor God with words alone. Jesus said their words are good, but their hearts are far from Me. You can't just honor God with words, but there is a level of expectation about how we should communicate as people of the covenant. This, you, you should be able to tell whether people are in the covenant or not. In the new covenant with Jesus, you should be able to tell by just listening to them talk for a few minutes. And I'm not just talking about that they use all of the, the, the slang and the jargon that you pick up at church if you hang around church people enough. I'm not talking about just talking the talk. I'm talking about if you'll hear them talk real life, then you should be able to tell that there's a difference. That's part of the covenant life. It's not an accident that we named the church this 14 years ago. There is a lifestyle that that reflects the covenant with Jesus. And part of that lifestyle is what we do or do not allow to come out our mouths. Now, what kind of words honor God? 
Well, we can do that. I mean, that's a series by itself, right? A whole series about what comes out your mouth and how to honor God with your lips. But in the interest of time, let's just look in, right here in Malachi and find out what God said in this specific example. He told us one thing in verse 6. True words. And the kind of words that honor God are true words. You can't claim the name of Jesus and continue to speak words that aren't true. You can't claim to be in covenant with a God who is truth. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. You can't be in covenant with a God who is the truth and still be walking in lies. That's not how that works. Look at Revelation 21 and 8. And nobody's lied to me. I'm not picking on you because somebody's lying to me. Okay? I'm just teaching you the word as it comes straight out of the Bible. But this is Jesus speaking in Revelation 21. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual immor- immor- sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, those that would be witches and astrologers and fortune tellers, all those kinds of things, the idolaters and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. You mean to tell me that if I lie, I'm going to hell? I didn't say that. Jesus did. But I didn't. (laughs) Don't blame me. So, So how many lies do I have to tell to be a liar? I don't know. You feeling lucky? (laughs) I mean, the... The point, I'm not trying to make light of a, of a very serious issue. The, the, the point is, what part of don't lie are we having a hard time with? God expects truth to come out our mouths. Now, and you all, I know our human nature, we always go to, the, to the, the most extreme example. You mean if I tell my wife that she looks good in that and it makes her look broad as a barn and I'm going to hell? You know what I'm talking about. Quit trying to find the, get, catch people on technicalities. You know what I'm talking about. You know the, the occasions that arise in your life, on your job, in your home, where you have, to, you, you have to tell the truth sometimes to your own detriment. God expects truth to come out our lips. If He's going to be honored by our mouth, then we've got to do what Ephesians says and put away lying. Now, what other kind of words honor God? The next couple of verses tell us. Words of knowledge and instruction. Because we're a royal priesthood, then people turn to priests for knowledge and instruction. We should honor God with the advice and the opinions that come out our mouths. If the Word has something to say about the matter, then that's what we need to share. If people come to us for advice, that's fine if you want to share your opinions, but let's make sure that we completely exhaust anything the Bible might say about it before we decide to throw our two cents worth in. If they're coming to us, then they need to hear what the truth of the Word is. And it needs to be what the Bible really says, and not what we wish it would say, or not what we heard that somebody told us that they read one time 20 years ago that it might say. Did you all follow that? Let's make sure that what we share as the Word of God is the Word of God. We've got to be true communicators of the Word to the world. If we don't do it, who's going to tell them? How does the Word of God get dispersed to the people who need to hear it the most? How are they going to know unless we tell them? 
Look at Romans chapter 10. This is what Paul said. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one in whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? It's like, that's right, Pastor John. You better get on it, boy. There's a bunch of them. It's not just me. It's you. It is me, but it's you. You're the one who reaches the people you work with. You're the one who's around your friends and your family. You're the one. You're the, you are preaching a message whether you realize it or not. I've said this several times over, over the body of someone who lays in front of me as I conduct a funeral. I believe that people preach their own funerals while they're still living. You are preaching your own funeral today and people are paying attention. We've got to be about the business of sharing the gospel of Jesus with our lives and with our words. Verse 7 in Malachi says that we are messengers of God. We're messengers of God. We live in a world full of people with questions and we have the answer. We live in a world full of people who are searching for truth and we know who He is. Our words have got to be such that when they hear us speak, then they know that we are connecting them with truth. And they hear what comes out of our mouth and they'll be drawn to Him. And if we're going to be obedient to the Great Commission to go into the world and make disciples, then we're going to have to make sure that what comes out of our mouths is the knowledge and the instruction of the Word of God. It's one of the ways that we honor God with our words. Now what would happen... Just just let your mind wander for a second. What would happen if every morning we began the day by asking God to help us honor Him with our mouths? There are many times that I say, God, set a guard over my mouth. Don't let me say anything that's not going to bring glory to you. Please don't let me tell that person what I really think. Right? Please don't don't let it come out things that are unkind things that are not true, things that would not lift up and edify and build your kingdom, please don't let me share those. Set a guard over my mouth. What would happen in our lives? How would things change if before we said something stupid that we, we feel that prick in our hearts of the Holy Spirit going, hey, uh, hey, genius, you probably don't need to say that. Before we actually say it. Wouldn't that solve a whole ton of problems? If you didn't have to try to suck words back in your head, but you actually close your mouth before they come out. Why can't we do that? Why why can't we start every day and ask God to help us to honor Him with our mouths? There's a a benediction that we pray uh, a lot of times in the church. It comes from David in Psalm chapter 19 and verse 14. We we use it as a benediction, but I think it would be a great way to start every day. May the words of my mouth And the meditations of my heart be pleasing, or the King James says, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What a difference in our days. What a difference in our interactions with people if the words of our mouth would reflect the honor that we should have for God. Let's look back in verse 6, find out how else God expects to be honored. So we read, true instruction was in his mouth, nothing false was on his lips. Here's the next half of that verse. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from sin. He walked with me in peace and unrighteousness. Peace and righteousness, excuse me. 
He didn't walk in unrighteousness. He walked with me in peace and in righteousness. How else does God expect to be honored? In our worship, in our words, and in our walk. Levi was pleasing to God because the things he did matched the things that he said. Notice that he didn't just say true instruction was in his mouth. It also said, and he walked in such a way that God was honored by his action. Because it's one thing to say all the right things. But believe me, the people that you're talking to are waiting to see if you're going to live by your own words. If it doesn't work in your life, they're not even going to try it in theirs. There is no need to come in running your mouth about, about the solution to everybody's problem if you've got the same problems in your life and you ain't done it yet. The world is desperate to hear the answer, but they want to make sure it's a real answer. And they want to make sure you're doing it and it's working for you before they try it in their lives. It's like reading a parenting book by a dude that doesn't have any kids. Right? It's easy to raise other people's kids when you ain't ever raised a kid. It's like going to a male midwife. Don't tell me how to birth this baby. You ain't never had a baby. And tell me the pain is going to be okay. Don't tell me that. <laughs> you haven't had to do this. You haven't walked where I'm walking. There's one question that the world needs to hear. Did it work for you? If it doesn't work for you, then please don't tell them about it. If what you do doesn't match what you say, they're not listening to what you're saying anymore anyway. If God expects your words to, be ref to reflect the knowledge and instruction, then the only way to honor God with your walk is to actually live what you say. You can't stop at words. You've got to go to your walk as well. What's the number one thing that people complain about Christians? The number one reason that people don't come to church. I say, well, I can't come to that church because it's full of a bunch of hypocrites. Y'all met those people too, huh? And there are some people that have an impossibly high standard of expectation. There is no way that anybody's ever going to be perfect enough to meet what they think a Christian should meet. So I'm not talking about those people. Let's don't talk about them. There are those people. Maybe the people that you talk to. Some of those people are like that. But there are an awful lot of people who have a very reasonable expectation of how a person that names the name of Jesus should conduct themselves. And there's an awful lot of people that are not meeting the standard. There are a lot, an awful lot of people that they are absolutely right. That many Christians' lives don't reflect the teachings of Christ. Let me ask you this. Are you living your life in such a way that it's making people more likely or less likely that they'd be attracted to Jesus? Are you living your life in a way that's going to draw people to Christ or going to turn people away from Christ? Because we can't change the world. The world doesn't have an unreasonable expectation. They just expect if you claim the name of Christ that you're going to try to live your life according to His teachings. That's not unreasonable. The only way we're going to be able to change that problem is inside the church. We as the Christians, we as the people who name the name of Jesus have got to be willing to say, yes, this is what I believe, this is the standard that I shoot for, and if I fall short, it's not His fault, it's my fault, and I'm working on myself to line up with the teachings of Christ. Not making excuses. And let me tell you, that's, that's the, maybe the bad news is that there are a lot of hypocrites in the body of Christ and that we don't need to be one of those. Let me tell you the worst news is that you might be able to fake it at church 
And you might be able to fake it in certain areas of your life, but ladies and gentlemen, we live in a small town. And people know how you act at the ball field when that stupid coach won't play your kid enough. You know, your little budding all-star who's going to be a major league baseball player one day. And people know how you act at the parent-teacher conferences when of all the teachers in the world, you've got that one teacher who hates children. Right? All children. Especially children that act like yours. And you probably had a teacher like that the year before, too. And maybe, the, never mind, that's a whole different pattern of conversation. But you, you, we know how, people know how you act. People know how you treat the cashier at Ingalls who's like 17 and all they do is scan the groceries and it happens to ring up the regular price and not the sale price. There are people behind you in line and at the other register who are turning around to see why the earth is coming to an end over there and they realize it's 50 cents. And let me tell you, the even worse news, I'm just full of it today, the even worse news is that because we live in a small town, they know what church you go to. (laughs) And so it's a bad reflection on all those people that you're sitting with and they wish you'd stop. (laughs) (laughs) The story that I heard the other day, a man got on the bus, a city bus to go from point A to point B, got on the bus... Went and sat down and he checked his pocket, checked his change, and he realized the man had given him too much change. Gave him a quarter too much. So he went and sat down. He's like, well, that's, you know, it's not a big deal. God, you know, so he starts through the whole thing in his mind about, well, God has blessed me. God just blessed me with a mistake from there. And so I'm going to keep this money. Thank you, Lord, for this quarter. You know how Christians are. We can come up with all kinds of things. Blame it on God. As long as it's God's fault, it's okay. Or we say, oh, the bus, they charge too much for bus fare anyway. Or they got deep pockets. They don't need to worry about us and all that kind of stuff. So he's going through all this in his mind. Well, anyway, his, his stop comes up and he gets up. And for whatever reason, he just, he's, he's talking to the guy and he's telling him to have a nice day or whatever. And he says, oh, and by the way, you gave me too much change. I just want to give you that back. And the bus driver says, well, thank you. I appreciate you doing that. Very honest. Uh, not, not very many people do that anymore. I appreciate you being honest. And the guy said, well, I try to be honest. You know, I'm a Christian. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a new pastor in the area. If your, church, your family's looking for a church, I'd love for you to come. The bus driver said, yeah, I know who you are. And he said, that's why I gave you the extra quarter. He said, I'm glad you gave it back. My family is looking for a church. And we'll see you Sunday. So the pastor stumbled off the bus, <laughs> leaned onto a light post, and said, God, help me. I almost sold out my Savior for a quarter. People are watching you. People know more about you than they think, than you think they do. What's your life saying about Christ? What's your life saying about your character and your commitment to the Lord? This passage in Malachi says that the way Levi lived his life caused many people to turn from sin. And then on the other hand, it says the priests in Malachi's day were causing people to stumble because of the inconsistency with which they lived their lives. I used to be a math teacher, so I kind of get into graphs and charts and geometry and stuff. So if we plotted a line here and on one end we put Levi, the way Levi lived his life. And on the other end of the line, we put the way the priests in Malachi's day lived their lives and then ask you to 
plot your life, which end are you closer to in the way you conduct yourself in your walk? Do you live your, your life the way Levi did, in a way that lifts up and honors God? Or do you live your life in a way that causes people to stumble because of the inconsistency that they see in you? Why, why is that such a big deal, causing somebody to stumble? Why am I, why am I making such a big deal about that? Well, I, I'm not really making a big deal out of it, but Jesus did, Matthew chapter 18. Let me see this next scripture, please. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it'd be better for him to have a large millstone hung around the neck and drowned in the depths of the sea. I can't imagine much of anything that it would be better to have a millstone hung around your neck. Jesus said it's better than causing somebody to stumble. Apparently it's a big deal to Him. And the way we live our lives is important to Jesus. What would happen if we started our day acknowledging our dependence on Him? If we just got up and just got bare bones honest with Him and said, God, order my steps today. Help me to live my life in a way that, like, like Ephesians says to do, to walk worthy of Your name. Help me, God, not to cause anybody to stumble. But, but on the other hand, help me to live my life in a way that draws people to You. I'm not saying that we'll never make a mistake. Lord knows I do regularly. But the desire of our hearts and the intentions that we have every day needs to live, need to live our lives in such a way that God is honored by our walk. Now there's one more area that's implied in this passage and then clearly stated in the New Testament as well. And it's found in Colossians chapter 3. If I can see that. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. I know y'all are not slaves, but do you not work for somebody? Mm-hmm. Feels like a slave master sometimes, doesn't it? Obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Oh, it gets worse. Wait, verse 23. As if this is not bad enough. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Oh, here's the final nail in the coffin here. Verse 24. Check this out. Since you know that you'll receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Do you know that how you do your job is a reflection of your character and commitment to Christ? How you do your job, how you manage your business is a reflection of your character and commitment to Christ. The last area that God wants to be honored in is our work. It's where we spend most of our waking hours, and yet most of us consider it to be of no spiritual value. We think of our job as completely secular. It is neutral spiritually. But in my opinion, it is the largest untapped mission field in the world. Think about it. We are surrounded by people who need Jesus. We are fluent in their native language. We have been immersed in their culture. We have common interests, but we have never been able to win them over to Christ. Why is that? Part of it is, I think, it's just a lack of understanding of all of the opportunities, all of the ministry moments that present themselves throughout the day. We just go through our day stumbling through blind to the things that God may open a door for 
in our lives. But I think the other part of it is that we're not effective in ministry on our job because we don't do our jobs very well. We have not served our bosses as we would serve Christ. We haven't given our best. We haven't had a positive attitude. We haven't performed with excellence. We've not set the standard at our businesses. And instead, we think we should be patted on the back just because we are Christians. That that we deserve a break just because we're such a blessing. (laughs) It's so lovely to be around. And then we wonder why we have no influence over people at work. Look, if people are watching you at the store and in the community, then you can bet that's doubly true of the people at your place of employment. They are watching how you do what you do, and it is a reflection on your relationship with Jesus. Let's change the way we do business. Let's strive to be the best that we can be. Let's give an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Let's serve our clients and our customers and our bosses as if it was Christ Himself standing there. Let's be part of the solution instead of only part of the problem. And when our words and our walk and our work all come together in a way that honors God, then He gets the glory, He gets lifted up, He draws men and women to Himself, and then the opportunities for ministry will start appearing everywhere. And it won't be forced or contrived or uncomfortable. It'll just flow naturally out of a life that honors God. What we need, what the world needs is not more vocational ministers like myself who leave the marketplace and go hide in a church and call it doing the work of the Lord. We need Christian. We need some of those, but that's not how we're going to change the world. How we're going to change the world is if we have Christian teachers and Christian mechanics and Christian ball players and Christian attorneys and Christian politicians and cashiers and actors and musicians and scientists, all who are the best at what they do and all who do their work as if they are honoring God Himself. How else is God going to reach the people that you work with if He doesn't do it through you? I can't come to work with you. Robbie can't come to work with you. Shane, these guys, Missy, we can't go to work with you. You go to work there. You're the one that has influence over them. You may be the, that may be the very reason why God placed you there, is to work that mission field. If we're going to build a house that honors God, a house that God can bless, then we've got to lay a foundation of love and we've got to build walls of honor with our worship, with our words, with our walk, and with our work. And let me point one more thing out. God didn't... Let me read verse 2 again. If you're still open there, go back and let's read that together. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to bring... Excuse me, do not resolve to honor my name, I'll send a curse on you and I'll curse your blessings. We already talked about why that happens. Yes, I've already cursed them because you have not resolved... To honor me. I want you to notice that God didn't just say, you haven't honored me. He said, you haven't taken it to heart. You haven't resolved to honor me. Notice that honor is not something that just happens naturally. It's the result of a decision. You have to resolve in your heart and mind that you're going to honor something. You have to humble yourself. Because honoring something or someone outside of yourself requires an admission that you need their help or they're better at something than you are. 
We are, when we honor God, we are recognizing our own inability to do anything for ourselves. We are humbling ourselves before God and admitting that we can't do it on our own, that we need Him, that we depend on Him, that His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that His plans are better than our own plans, that His strength is greater than our strength. When we honor God, we are admitting that if anything's going to get done, if anything's going to be accomplished for the kingdom of God, that it's not going to happen by the might of men, and it's not going to be by the power of human ingenuity, but it's only going to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit working in those of us who are humble enough to receive Him. Notice that God isn't just upset with them because they didn't honor Him. He's upset because they didn't make up their minds to do it. He's upset about the process, not just the product. We've got to set ourselves up for success. We've got to decide to honor God before it's ever going to happen. We've got to decide that we're going to live by His Word. We've got to decide that we're going to honor Him with our worship. We've got to decide that we're going to honor Him in the way we conduct ourselves, the way we walk. We've got to decide we're going to honor Him in our work and with our words. Honoring God is not going to happen by accident. It'll start with a decision and then it'll be carried out in the hundreds of little choices that you make every day. You have to ask yourself in those times, will I honor God in this situation or not? And that's going to depend on whether you have already gone to the trouble of deciding to honor Him in your life. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Pastor John Butler at Covenant Life Church in Bremen, Georgia. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.covenantlifebremen.org. We look forward to meeting you soon.